0: Uh, what the government has done in UK, Canada, a, a, and of course all over in the US, is create these biofacturing hubs where companies can go plug and play mm-hmm. inside. They are manfa- not just manufacturing hubs; they are uh, hubs of expertise as well. So that if you have a very cool idea of gene editing, uh, somebody you would go to that hub, and they will guide you through the productization of science work. I think that is a fairly key thing that, that needs needs to go through. I, I have been part of some conversations uh, where the DBT is taking such a proposal forward. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that. Uh, and uh, second thing I always say is, uh, is execution. Because execution is 99% of all the work in my view.
1: Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Forbes India's Tech Conversations where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs and investors. I am Hari Arakali. As India readies its own deep tech startups policy, this is episode 3 in a short series of conversations with some of the entrepreneurs and VC investors who are building this ecosystem. Today, Dr. Jogin Desai, founder and CEO of iSTEM Research, gives us an update on his company's effort to commercialize new therapeutics products to combat degenerative diseases of the eye. Dr. Desai co-founded iSTEM in 2015 and the venture has raised about $10 million in funding so far from investors including India partners. In this episode, he also talks about some of the challenges of building a biotech venture in India. Dr. Jogin, good morning. Thank you so much for making time for me. Uh, really appreciate it. Looking forward to this conversation. And there's also the context of India having released a, a somewhat a historic policy, if I may say so, on uh, deep tech in India as well. So it's nice to have a conversation who's, uh, with someone who's in the thick of this uh, in your field. Um Maybe you could start with uh, giving us a brief background about yourself uh, as well as iSTEM and we'll go from there.
0: Sure. So thank you, Hari, for having me over. Uh, my name is Dr. Jogindesai. I did my medicine in India and then went abroad. I did about two decades of drug development. Uh, I was part of the global, uh, I, I ran the global cardiac safety business for Quintiles, which is a. Doesn't it is now ICUVIA, Its new name. Uh, then I ran a joint venture between quintals and Thermo Fisher in the U.S. Uh, for uh, again drug development. And uh, we started iStem in 2000. Well, we registered iStem in 2015, but really started is in 2017. 2017 we started. Um, so iStem started with a very. Uh, it was serendipitous as most startups do. Uh, is that i had gone to dr rajni Bhattu, who uh, is an ophthalmologist here in bangalore uh, and for an unrelated uh, ophthalmology checkup and we started talking about how cell and gene therapy is going to change the face of incu- currently incurable diseases of the eye right and one thing led to another i landed up in uh, in stem and uh, c camp which is the Center for Cellular and Molecular Platforms in Bangalore, I met uh, Professor Ramswami who, who who was talking about cell and gene therapy uh, and all of a sudden, and, and, and one of the biggest stumbling blocks for this is the significantly high cost of that and of potential high cost of cell and gene therapies, which is going to be $200,000, $300,000 in injection. Uh, and you know, the Spark Therapeutics is the only FDA-approved gene therapy for the eye. It retails at $495,000 an injection. They are going to send it out. I mean, I think the the India prices will be around 2 crores for an injection, right? So this doesn't make sense. So what we wanted to do is figure out how to leverage the current tools available and create a therapy that is, say, less than $10,000. Because only at those price points will we truly start making a difference. Uh, and that's how the whole idea of iStem was born democratizing access to cell therapy uh, for what i call the bottom 99.99% of the of humanity not just india everywhere
1: mm. can you walk us through um, you know some of the most recent developments uh, any milestones any important milestones maybe in the last one year um, just to give us a sense of where you are at today in the sort of journey of iStem I-
0: Sure. So our first product is treating dry age-related macular degeneration. Uh, Dry AMD is the largest cause of incurable blindness for people over 50 in the world. Uh, There are 170 million people in the world who suffer from it. 40 million out of them are in India. And uh, uh, we have created a suspension of of cells, uh, without going too deep into the science, uh, retinal pigment epithelium cells, which are going to help treat and treat that disease and potentially uh, reverse at least at least uh, arrest the vision loss and potentially reverse the vision loss as well uh, we have finished or say in the last 12 months we have we've made huge progress actually in the last 12 months a very uh, key critical milestones the biggest one of the biggest milestones is that we have now all the data that we need for a regulatory filing all the animal data and which we have done. So we have filed with the uh, CDSCO in India uh, with a trial. We have finalized all the sites. LV Prasad, Ames in Delhi, and uh, Jalna in Maharashtra are the three sites for us. Uh, We are also going to uh, approach the FDA fairly soon. In the next six months, we're actually looking for a pre-IND. We'll we'll apply for a pre-IND in the next uh, six weeks uh, with the FDA, and then an IND. Uh, And uh, our manufacturing is done. Which is which is also a very key milestone uh, uh, for us so we are very uh, you know we are fairly bullish that we should be able to start the trial as soon as we get approval from the CDSCO and hopefully uh, dose the first patient by end of the year
1: hmm. for a general audience can you just very briefly tell us the significance of an IND application and approval
0: So the IND application is is, a confluence of all the data that you have created to prove that your drug is safe and effective. It is governed by a very, very strict standard you know, and so not a lot of people can actually achieve IND. Uh, and you have to make sure that you have demonstrated that you have productized the science, which is very important because you have to make sure that the whatever protocol that you're using has to be Consistent, dependable, scalable, repeatable, uh, and you have to make sure that you're analyzing those criteria through a very sp- through a validated certificate of analysis. You've got to then go through things like is your validating the device that injects into the patient. So there is a significant amount, and, and of course, I'm talking about I'm just talking about the product. Now you also have to make sure that the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, is safe and effective. So you have these special genetically modified uh, rat models that are available where you have to inject these cells and prove that the cells are safe and prove that the rat can start seeing again. Uh, and we've done that across multiple times now. Here uh, 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 We've got two collaborators, uh, one in Portland, uh, uh, actually three collaborators for our animal work. One is, one is in Portland who do our rat models. Uh, the other is uh, DABAR Research in Delhi, who do all our what we call in our parlance GLP tox toxicology models, and the third is Singapore uh, I Research, where we do they do all our larger animal models, uh, and all of three are independent uh, independent reports that have been published and said our drug is effective and safe.
1: Mm. So from here, what are the next steps? Do you move on to human trials and do you need specific permissions for those?
0: Yes. So we we have applied for the permissions uh, with the CDSCO and we will soon apply the permission with the FDA to start in the US as well. Uh, We anticipate, I think in the next six weeks, we hope that we get permission from the CDSCO. And at that point in time, we would want to start the human trials as soon as possible. As soon as possible is the answer. And this is important, Hari, because, you know, in every six, in the last six years, whenever, unfortunately, dry MD is a huge problem in India. And whenever we do any press release for funding or anything else, um, we always get responses on LinkedIn, Twitter, some people call saying, when are you starting a trial? When are you starting a trial? So this is a very, very key important milestone for us because, you know, this is, This is when we can start delivering on our promise, so to speak.
1: I mean, in in, in your world, uh, there are so many things that could go wrong. So many things that you have to be very careful about, uh, get all the data right and the tests right. So uh, realistically, um, what sort of timeline for a commercial uh, product? Right.
0: So what happens in India is this is an unmet need. There's no cure. Just to give you a sensory of the background, there are about four or five companies in the world. That are trying to cure this disease. Uh, certainly, we are the only ones in India. But even among the world, there aren't too many who have managed to achieve what we've achieved. Uh, the second thing is the market for dry AMD is uh, so there are a lot of patients that are waiting uh, for for this. Uh, so the regul the, the reason why I'm saying this is the regulators are willing to work with us. Uh, n- to try and expedite an accelerated pathway Uh, and my hope is that once we get safety and efficacy out of this particular one, which will take uh, I think about 12 to 15 months from the time we start, uh, we should be able to get uh, provisional commercial approval. So uh, to answer your question, I would say second half of because a lot of these things always take more time than you think. Uh, so, I would I would say somewhere in 2025, uh, but hopefully er- earlier than later part of 2025. But realistically, the later part of 2025.
1: Hmm. I mean, I get that the science is very technical, but I think uh, a lot of people might still be curious about how your technology actually works. And it would also give us a sense of the innovation that you have developed. Maybe you want to try and explain it to us. I mean, think of explaining it to a complete layperson.
0: No, I get it. So, it's very simple. In dry AMD, you lose a certain um, layer of the retina. Uh, this is the retinal pigment. It is the layer known as the retinal pigment epithelium. Uh, it is like the foundation of a building. Uh, retinal RPE, as it is known, is the foundation and the building is our light sensing cells, uh, right for, through which we can see. So, once the foundation collapses, the building collapses with it. Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So what we have done is created those cells in the lab uh, and and productized that science and then we have put those cells in a gene a special genetically modified rat which does not have these cells. So we have proven that these cells can then help the rat so we have a control where there is no injection uh, and there is, and here we are putting the injection. So where there is no injection, the rat will very quickly go blind completely. And where the, where we have put in cells, we have proven that the rat does not go blind. Uh, and that's the basis of our technology. In terms of innovation, we have filed a patent. Uh, we have re- we have a patent in the US as well as India, uh, which has been registered and issued. Uh, we have uh, yeah. know, our technology is for scale. Because if you go back to the purpose of the company, which is democratizing access, uh, it at scale has to be at the center of this purpose. Because if you can scale, then you can reduce the costs. So from um, 1 million cells, starting material, we are able to create 48 million uh, of our product, which is a significant expansion. And I, it, I don't think there's many people in the world who have done what we've done so far.
1: And so the the business model is like uh, selling uh, uh, a therapeutic product, uh, an injection.
0: Yes, absolutely. Ultimately, it's about selling the injection.
1: Hmm. So so I would imagine at some point uh, you would establish your own factory or there are established contract manufacturers who can do this for you?
0: There are established contract manufacturers uh, who certainly can do this for us. we whether we will establish our own or that uh, is something that is you know, open to question uh, yeah. right now we're still deciding that to be quite honest
1: so your customers could be uh, uh, hospitals or individual patients i mean so i'm thinking the, the patients would buy it through the hospitals and you sell to the hospitals yeah yeah yeah
0: it would have to be the retina surgeons there are about 700 retina surgeons in the country uh, and those are the, this is a subretinal injection. So only retina surgeons can do this injection.
1: Okay. Uh, and and can that be done as a, uh, like an outpatient uh, treatment or?
0: Yeah. I mean, you might want, need to keep the patient for a day uh-huh. uh, just to make sure everything is okay. But otherwise, yeah, the treatment is fairly, it's not very uh, hard to do.
1: Mm. And again, I mean, from a completely lay person's sort of curiosity Does this require things like the the therapy being compatible with the patient?
0: Uh, No, it's an excellent question. Uh, So, we have an eye is considered an immune privileged organ because the blood doesn't come in. There's a blood brain barrier. And similarly, there is a blood ocular barrier as well. Uh, uh, However, we do want patients to be on... uh, uh, immune suppression for the first three months to make sure that their cells have the capacity to then go and integrate into the patient.
1: Mm. Do they need to be from the same person or no no no
0: if if it is for the same person then it so if it is same person then that then the process becomes so big that you cannot scale. Ah. Uh, so it has to be one to many. Okay. Essentially the cell line that we have it will it will the cells that we create can go into any patient to answer your question.
1: Okay. Um. Again, I mean, forgive my ignorance. So your original cell line, where does it come from?
0: Yeah. So we have part- we have partnered with the NIH uh, mm-hmm. in the US. It is probably the most well-characterized GMP grade cell line in the world. Uh, and they have a very good partnership uh, methodology. They have very good material transfer agreements where we get full and complete rights over anything that we do for, from there uh, on. So, Again, going back to our purpose, which I will keep going back to, uh, if you want to have an efficient platform, you want to make sure that you do what you need to do best. Uh, But everything else, you don't spend time reinventing the wheel, Mm -hmm. and which is what we have done. Don't reinvent the wheel. But on the other end, our protocol, which is the productization of science part, which is I sell diff protocol, that is secret sauce that we will never do outside.
1: Mm, Fair enough. So that's what is really proprietary to you. And Absolutely. All right. uh, okay. I want to go back to something that you said earlier that jumped out at me, which is the idea of productizing the science. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways that's at the heart of the entire development of the whole deep, deep, deep tech ecosystem in India. Yes. I mean, we're at a very nascent stage yes. in, you know, building the sort of playbook for productizing the science when it comes to Deep tech. We've done it in IT, we've done it in SaaS, but not so much. So, and there's also the context of uh, the Indian government now having published a a draft policy uh, for deep tech startups. I just want to, uh, you know, uh, want you to think aloud about uh, what you make of this policy. What are some of the things you liked? What are some of the things that you feel still need work?
0: So, I think it's the right start in the sense that we have started a conversation. That is the first thing I would say. No, right, I think they have identified some sectors which is also, you know, encouraging. Uh, for us, in the biotech area, one of the key things that will help, there are two things that we still need for, for this policy to help us in the biotech area. One is a very specific focus on biomanufacturing, mm-hmm. uh, which is not there in the policy because it's too broad, I mean, understandably not there. Uh, it's relatively broad uh, and as it should be, uh, but a very specific. Fo- so again, this whole GMP thing that I talked about. Now, good man, there is just not enough business for us for on for a outsourced organization in cell and gene therapy. Right? How many such pro- companies are in India? So they don't actually s- set up these specialized manufacturing facilities. Uh, what the government has done in UK, Canada, a- a- and of course all over in the US is create these biofacturing hubs where companies can go plug and play mm. inside. They are manfa- not just manufacturing hubs; they are uh, hubs of expertise as well. So that if you have a very cool idea of gene editing, uh, somebody you would go to that hub, and they will guide you through the productization of science part. Mm. I think that is a fairly key thing that that needs needs to go through. I I have been part of some conversations uh, where the DBT is taking such a proposal forward, uh, so I'm encouraged by that. Uh, and uh, second thing I always say is a uh, is execution because execution is 99 percent of all the work in my view. One percent, I mean, you know. It, I know the Japanese say 99% planning, 1% execution, uh, 19 and 10. Uh, I think in India, it has to be, you know, 90 and 90. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think there's a 10 in India. Uh, And I think a very focused uh, industry, academia, government alliance, which is tasked and uh, has the necessary authority to f- execute on whatever has been agreed upon uh, that i am an execution guy so i i always say what are the tasks who is going to do it what are the milestones somebody has to put all of this together uh, and that t- these are the two things that i would say are missing
1: hmm. yeah i mean on that point can you talk about what might be some of the really tough challenges in actually implementing this policy successfully yeah
0: uh, so again, it's so broad that implementing the policy at a, uh, it will have to be like for example, biotech. It will have to have uh, uh, a arm that just focus on how to do bioman scale up biomanufacturing in India. It. it itself can be ins- insanely big. I mean, if you look at our percentage of R and D that India has done for 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 these things, it's a favorite topic of mine because. Uh, i always feel we were very lucky during covid because we had a very large manufacturing base in india hmm. for vaccines hmm. but there are other things for cell and gene therapy for antibiotics you if there is no indian product available you are going to be left at the mercy of whoever is going to sell you the 2 crore rupee injection which is exactly what is happening today right so uh, i would say that main challenge is how to Reconcile the breadth of the policy that it needs to, with the depth of the execution that it will take for it to create impact in specific areas. Hmm. And, and it, it's going. To, the the biggest challenge will be program management,
1: hmm.
0: not project management. I mean, project management, of course, but program management will be a challenge. Because ideas are, are available. These ideas that are not new. I mean, everybody has done it before. It's just who executes better.
1: And and so within the scientific community and among people like you who have who kind of straddle both industry and science, do you have a sense of how this will be administered? Is there going to be a new institution?
0: No, I don't. But but we're looking forward to having discussions uh, on on how it can be administered. I think it's a little bit. I think they're also thinking it through. I don't think a model has been put out yet.
1: We recently already announced some fifty thousand crores for a national research foundation. So this deep tech policy might be more in terms of specifically focusing on the challenges of deep tech companies and not so much in terms of another fund or anything like that.
0: We have the money. We have the expertise. It's not about always about money. It's about lubricating the f- f- friction points. Mm. Uh, so biomanufacturing, setting up biomanufacturing will not take a massive amount of money. We're talking about 200 crores, you know, something like that. We're not under 200 crores. Uh, and, and and you're off because you don't even want to start very big also, uh, right? Unlike in the US, we are resource constrained. So we really don't want to start a lot. So we start with that, we create the necessary expertise. I think expertise itself will take two, three years to get it staffed with people who can then be the guides for startups. Uh, so we don't need to start big. We need to start focused. And that's the big point.
1: That's a Deep insight. Hmm. Um, Can can you talk a little bit about uh, any India-specific challenges overall at the deep tech ecosystem level?
0: I think one of the things is for any founder, the ability to conceptualize the business as a global business. And that is something that we certainly have done from start. There is no export quality and India quality standard right? There's, everything is just one. So how to create? Because otherwise you're just going to get run over, and you can't really compete on price. Price is a, I mean, is the last thing you would want to compete on. Uh, quality has to be given. Has to is a given,
1: mm.
0: uh, right? So how do you create the business and align it in the way in which it adheres to the be- best quality that is available? In fact, I would go one more level further. Given the Quality perceptions for Indian companies. Some of these are reserved, some of these are not deserved. Uh, for a deep tech company, especially in the biotech sector, you have to go above board. So, so instead of one animal trial, we did seven to make sure that there are no questions. That people can ask of, of us. In the, instead of creating a cell line from scratch and having 100 uh, questions asked by the US FDA, we said we're going to use the same line that is used by seven different companies in the world. All right. So how to align your vision in a way in which it is global from day one
1: mm.
0: uh, is important and that involves a significant amount of collaborations. That involves a significant amount of... So we uh, our scientific board is all in the US, Uh, And these are people who help us from, uh, you know, because otherwise there's just no way to know. So that is how I would say that is the biggest challenge. The other challenges are routine challenges where, you know, I don't want to whine about these small things that it takes a long time for the customs to send us stuff and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But these are, I mean, I would count them as country specific challenges where each country has its own unique challenge. Right, so uh, those are not. I mean, if, if you're a founder, you should not be focused on the small challenges. You should be
1: focused on the big ones. Uh, and in a company like iSTEM, of course, you will not lead. You will not need uh, a big team or anything like that. But you will need specialists with a lot of focused experience. How's that experience been for you? Like,
0: so we are very selective in our hiring. Um, And we take a, I mean, it would take probably around four to five months before a person can be truly effective. Mm. Uh, We are also focused on the culture uh, a lot uh, because culture is, you know, culture eat strategy and so on. Uh, But but it is even more so on the scientific side uh, because people come, there is a lot of preconceived notions on what somebody can do and somebody cannot do based on the degree Mm -hmm. that they have. Uh, and for us to get the culture to a point where the only thing that matters the only thing that is is the patient uh, and not me not my co-founders nobody uh and that so we are very very selective uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and then once and we want to and we want to make sure that whoever comes in is aligned with our vision which is democratizing access for for patients in the, in the world once that happens, then everything else is magic. Uh, you don't need to tell them when to come. And we never monitor when, when people come and when people go. Uh, it's just, you know, on the other end, when there was COVID, when during the first lockdown, uh, our guys against my advice uh, used to come to the office every day. Uh, as I said, forget it. The cells can die. It's not a problem. They said, no, the cells cannot die, you know? So uh, once you're aligned on the vision, everything else is easy.
1: Mm. How many people now overall at ISTEM?
0: 12, including us.
1: Fair enough. And does the current slowdown make it more difficult for you to find additional funding? So far, you've raised about $10 million or so. Approximately, yeah.
0: Uh, no, I don't. I mean, first of all, we are not raising funds. Right, mm. currently. We are perfectly fine. We have a about a one to two year runway for the Indian market. We might raise funds for the US strategy. Uh, but for the Indian market we are not. And one of the reasons why, again, I go back to my purpose, which is if you want to democratize access, provide something at cost-effective, you better run a cost-effective organization yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, that's the first thing you do, right? So every single expense, even even while we have money, uh, we are very, 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 you know, thrifty. We're not cheap, but we're thrifty. <laughs> and, that's, and how to tell the difference is where, you know, wisdom lies, I guess. Uh, and so we've kept our costs to be very, very less operating, our operating expenses. Uh, and that's why we have at least a two-year runway, if not more, uh, at least uh, for for our, uh, for our organization. Uh, so far, we have not seen any issues if we want to raise money as of now. Um, but it might change. If you, if I want to raise fifty million dollars, then it'll it it might change. So depending on how our US strategy goes, we we, will, we might sort of face the same issues that other people have. So far, we're not.
1: What what are some of the key elements of the US strategy as of now? So
0: starting a clinical trial in the US is the key element. Okay. And we're right now working with contract research organizations to get quotes to get. We our FDA meeting will happen in the next some uh, you know. In the next three four months, uh, and then the U.S. strategy starts uh, because once you get first in human data, typically companies each asset is valued in these in these at uh, half a billion dollars or more each asset. Uh, and the idea for us is because you know if you just look at the market right, wet a- there are two types of AMD, very dry and wet AMD. Wet AMD is treatable through one of those injections, Lucentis and all that. Uh, the market, current market for that is $9 billion, wet AMD. Uh, dry AMD has no cure anywhere in the world. Whether you go to Boston or Bangalore or Bihar, you're going to get the same push answer saying you will lose sight. We don't know when. It's the same. So it's not one of those things where, you know, there's something available in the US that's not here. Uh, and the incidence of dry AMD is nine times that of wet AMD. So now you can see the potential addressable market and, and the business case that automatically presents itself. You don't need a large spreadsheet to understand this anymore. Um, so, uh, you know, I think... Uh, and, and the real success of iSTEM will come in 5 to 10 years. Hmm. Not just here. Because what we are looking at is creating... us. What we have created is a self-therapy platform. Which is not just able to create one cell but is essentially able to create any cell of the body. Hmm. So if we get this asset to a point where it is worth this much money then there are two or three other assets that are already in the pipeline uh, which we can take forward again with the same philosophy which is go for incurable diseases, go for scale, go for an affordable product at, at or above global standards.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: so when Covid came our guys Created lung organoids in the lab, uh, and we helped. We had a partnership with THSTI in Faridabad. We had a partnership with Purdue in the US, where they tried to figure out if ours because that's a very human-like model, the, the lung organoid. So they were trying to figure out how the virus interacts with the model and so on. Um, uh, so there are a lot of things that we we have created neural stem cells, which can and dopaminergic neurons, uh, which can which are lost in Parkinson's. So, the, so our core competence is the Diff protocol, which is taking cell A, providing it biological nudges and getting it to cell B, and controlling that through a repeatable predictable protocol and assessing that through assays which are validated. Everything else then, then you can do, then the platform becomes much more flexible. Mm. So so I would say in 5 to 10 years, I would want to have at least three more products uh, addressing other incurable diseases as well. Very
1: nice, sir. Uh, any last quick thoughts I mean, in the small context of this conversation before we wrap up?
0: Uh, I think we are at a critical milestone. Uh, and hopefully in the next one year, we will be able to demonstrate that we are one of two or three companies in the world who are, who are at this stage. Uh, from the five or six, will become in, we get in the two or three and over the next five to ten years we want to be the top cell and gene therapy company in the world full stop oh, nice. uh, and again this is not about personal ambition or uh, making money or all of that although that happens on the side but it is about figuring out how to get these amazing technologies to benefit a significantly large amount of population in the world through a product that is, as I said, affordable, but at or above global standards. Hopefully, we'll get there
1: in the next five to ten years. Brilliant. Uh, More power to you, sir. Very insightful conversation. I learned a lot about your work, Um, even though it was a brief chat. uh, Thank you again for making time for me and definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Absolutely. And thank you, Hari. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting You can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.